You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Elias Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tip-in is good at the buzzer. Now it's time for the tip Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Welcome to the Hangtime podcast. Lang Whitaker, my co-host, live and direct from New York via Skype. Lang, what's happening? Hey, man, how are you? Good, crazy, crazy five days yes. around the NBA. Injuries, trades, uh, win streaks continued, win streaks snapped. Um, obviously, the biggest news being the trade over the weekend involving the Orlando Magic, Phoenix Suns, Washington Wizards, big names, Gilbert Arenas, um, you know, Jason Richardson, Richard Lewis and Vince Carter going to Phoenix. I mean, First impressions when you heard about these deals and, and when they went done, uh, got done, what were you thinking? Well, I think the obvious first impression is that Orlando's going for it right now. Yeah. They're not happy with being 16 and – I guess they were 16 and 10 at the time, 16 and 9. Yeah. And they thought, well, we got to do something because, I mean, Boston and Miami looked pretty tough. Yeah. Um, you know, for for Orlando, though, I, I, I'm, I have questions. Like, who's – I thought Gortat was a pretty big piece for them. And so to lose him is tough. I think Jason Richardson's a good fit. And I mean, I guess getting Hito back is huge, but then what happens like with Jameer and Gilbert and Richardson? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I thought, uh, yeah. What's your take? I thought it was a, I thought it was kind of a, a, a reactionary move by Orlando. Yeah. And 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 we'll we've got a lineup of guests today that's unprecedented on the Hang Time podcast. We got like nineteen people lined <laughs> more up. Than, gonna, more than two. Yes, we're <laughs> gonna talk to all the principals. Um but I thought it was a reactionary move by Orlando and I thought as as much as it had to do with what's going on in Miami and Boston and these places, I think the Knicks scared Orlando. I think they looked up and saw, man, the Knicks you know, Knicks win nine, eight, nine in a row. You know, there are other teams. Chicago was on a you know on a brief stretch where they were playing really well, and I think Orlando just felt like we got to do something now to make sure we stay in that upper echelon in the East and right. don't and don't get caught up in you know in the pack. But I don't know that for sure. That's why we got these guests lined up today because I'd like to find out where this all originated. Like, who made that first call? Who who's the person that decided? Right. And, and we're either moving these guys in Orlando. We're moving. Gilbert in Washington, what have you. So uh, our first guest, Lang, is a good friend of ours from the Washington Post, Michael Lee. And uh, Mike, 
I don't know if you noticed or not, but we got to ask, who who started this fire? Well, uh, from the Wizards' perspective, probably Gilbert. <laughs> I mean, because uh, he started this fire uh, last this time last year, almost a year ago, uh, when he brought guns in the locker room. And, uh, you know, when he got suspended, you know, January 6th uh, on his uh, 28th birthday, they yanked his banner down from the Verizon Center. And uh, two days later, uh, Orlando comes to town. Yeah. You know, uh, Otis Smith is over at Gilbert Arenas' house. Wow. And, uh, you know, pouring out his soul, telling him everything that's going on because they have such a close friendship that dates back to their days in Golden State. And uh, don't think for an instant that throughout this last, you know, uh, however many months, that he hasn't been basically begging Otis to come get him. Yeah. You know, because uh, being in Washington just was not – where he wanted to be. Um, once he felt that the uh, franchise had kind of turned his back on him, he t- turned his back on them, and it just became just an uncomfortable situation that kind of played out through the course of, uh, of this first two months of the season. And then if you look to the game that the Wizards played uh, against Orlando when Gilbert had 31 points and then missed the game when they shot at the end, that was his best game of the season. Yeah, and right. it now it looks like, he was showcasing himself like, hey, Otis, I still got something. Come come after me. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, the ball kind of started rolling from there. Um, you know, Otis uh, reached out to the Wizards last week. And, um, you know, based on uh, what was happening in D.C., the team was struggling. And uh, if Otis says, hey, you guys want to do a deal, the Wizards have been looking to move this contract to get out from under this for some time. It was a great opportunity for them to do it. And boom, there you go. Wow, Mike, you've watched Gilbert play all year. How, how do you how do you think he's playing now? How does he fit in with Orlando? I don't know. Um, be honest, because I I I really was. It was tough to watch Gilbert play this year, to be honest, because knowing what he was, uh, you know, maybe four or five years ago, and knowing that that explosive burst, you know, that ability right. to just get to the basket, that speed. That 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 enthusiasm, that fun, that there just was none of that this year. Um, mm. There was just there didn't seem to be any joy on the basketball court, and uh, it was hard to watch because anybody that's watched Gilbert his entire career, you know that he one just had this fire in his eye when he was on the floor, and there was this fun about him whenever he was out there in basketball, and it just seemed to be missing. And um, and that that I think that now at least now that he's in Orlando, he's in a comfortable place. He's around people that he knows care about him. He's around Jason Richardson. He's around Otis Smith. You know, it's like a good reunion. He's in Orlando, a place where he has an off-season home. Maybe this will help bring some of that joy. Maybe he'll be happier again. In terms of what he can actually do on the court, I always I wondered, is the way he's playing the result of, you know, being uncomfortable with his role, being angry, about, you know, being in this situation of still playing in D.C. where the team is trying to move toward John Wall, or, or, or has he really just lost a step? Um, so I didn't know if it was more if he lost lost the passion or lost a step or if it was a little bit of both, but it, it was tough to watch this year. Mike, does the fact that the Wizards are playing with now without Gilbert and without John Wall, I mean, going into the season there was so much focus on those two guys. Yeah. To now see this team – you know, in a state where they're integrating new pieces. And, you know, it looks, for all intents and purposes, like they've got 
some pretty good assets out of this deal. You know, some guys that can come in and help them. But where where are they at now as a team? Where is this Wizards group now? I think the main the, the whole thing starts with John Wall and his and his knee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the fact that he has his bone bruise under his kneecap is uh is a big deal. I mean, uh, you just don't know how long it's going to keep him out. He doesn't know how long it's going to keep him out. Um, and I think that until he gets back on the floor, until you can see him play, it's really hard to feel comfortable about anything. I mean, yeah. uh, and I think that, but once he gets out there, once he's healthy, I think he's shown that this kid is special. You know, he's got some, he's got the goods, um, but he's got to be out there on the floor. And uh, um, and I think that's where it all begins. You know, because uh, the other night against Miami. You know, they played probably their best game of the season, um, mm-hmm. you know, up until the last 30 seconds when they made every mistake you could possibly make to give away a game that they should have won. Yeah. But um, but this, I think that they have some talent, but uh, they definitely have to get John Wall on the floor if they're ever going to, you know, really move on from all of this. What, well, that was my next question. What happens, like, now? I mean, they, they get Lewis. I mean, is this a team where – they got rid of that contract, like you were saying, that they've been trying to get rid of. Now what? I don't know. Be honest. I, I think because right now they they coming into the season, the guard play was supposed to be their strong suit. You know, right. they had Kirk, they had John, they had Gilbert, and they felt that that was the one reliable place that they had. You know, uh, depth at. Um, they were really questionable at like small forward because mm-hmm. Josh Howard was hurt. And uh, and you know um, Al Thornton was kind of getting that role, and they didn't know who was going to play that role. Now they're overrun with small forwards, and they have to right. get another point guard because now they lost Gilbert and uh, John's hurt, so they have to get another point guard. Um, but I think that you know one thing that that's happening this year is that Nick Young is really coming to his own. He's have he's playing some pretty good ball, and Josh Howard um, he really makes a difference on this team mm-hmm. because he just brings this attitude, this this kind of chip. That you know, he got traded from Dallas, and he still has that. That he still has something he wants to prove that he's still a quality player in this league. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt last year, um, you know, a, he's he's probably one of the most hotly pursued small forward free agents last year. Yeah. Um, but the knee injury at 30 years old, you don't know what he is anymore. Um, but he came out, you know, after nine months of you know not playing, very rusty, got 12 points you know, and almost inspired a victory over the Miami Heat. And and he played uh, four games last year. They went 3-1, and one, and they beat the Bulls, and they beat the Denver Nuggets in the games that he played. So, he, you know, those are, those are good teams at the time. So he, he adds a certain, you know, um, attitude to the team that's been lacking. So, yeah, Richard Lewis, I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I'll, I'll meet with him tomorrow. Um but I don't know the mindset he's going to come in with. But if you have guys who are pros who really want to be a part of the program and want to, you know, you know, not have a great attitude, that could help things. But right now, six and nineteen, um, you know, are you looking ahead and saying, you know, well, what about uh, Perry Jones or Harrison Barnes <laughs> or, or Jared Solinger? <laughs> you know, those are names that might sound a little more attractive right now because um, you're building through youth. And you got the number one pick last year. You got very lucky. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I think a guy like Josh Howard coming into the mix, you know, kind of lights the fire a little bit, gets the guys going more. Right. Mike, does this, you know, effectively put an end to that era of Wizards basketball, you know, where, you know, they had 
Quran. You know, at one point they had Quran, they had Gilbert, they had you know, Sean, yeah, Antoine. I mean, they, Man, they, had, yeah, they had a ended, nucleus of guys, and now it's over. Yeah, it ended. It ended the moment they made that trade with Dallas. Yeah, uh, I remember. You know, it was like the fun had ended because mm-hmm. that was that locker room during the time they made the four playoff runs. That there might not have been a more fun, entertaining locker room because those guys would crack jokes on each other they crack the jokes on the other team yeah and it was just a great place to be because on the every, beat writer as, as a beat writer <laughs> just you know just it, any, anything just just it was just a cool place to be around the guys genuinely liked each other you know they would have like they, they would talk trash to each other it was just and then they talked trash to lebron you know <laughs> i mean you know probably unnecessarily right. uh, but once deshaun and uh you know and brendan got traded you just knew that the fun the fun had ended, and last season the locker room was probably the worst that it had ever been. You know, wow. everybody was just on pins and needles. Uh, there was so much friction in there; they were losing, and it ended all last year. So, you know, Gilbert, the fact that he was still around, it just seemed like he was out of place. Yeah, and he even admitted, you know, I feel like the odd man out here, and he was because the team is going in a totally different direction, and they got this one holdover from the last era. Who who's looking around? He's 28 years old, about to turn 29. He's got all these 20, 21 year old kids who have no idea what to do out there on the floor, and they're asking him to be the leader of the team when he just was the leader of the team last year. And look where he led it, yeah. you know. So it's just it was just a, a kind of a bad mix. And the fact that they've moved Gilbert now is good for Gilbert. Gives him an opportunity to maybe show what he has, you know, because you know. You don't know, like I said, you don't know how much of this was just him losing a step or losing the passion. The passion will be there, and now let's see if he has an extra step. Well, it's uh, crazy. Again, we we started our show today, Mike, talking about the last you know five days have been just nuts. You know, if you go back to last <laughs> week with the news about Yao, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, and then the trade, and now this more crazy stuff going on in the league, man. It's we hate it for you because uh, that means you got to. Work a little overtime, but we appreciate the efforts, and we love reading the stuff on the uh, Washington Post website. Mike Lee from the Washington Post, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, man, I Mike. wish I was in there with y'all, man. I know, man. We, we, you got next time you come to Atlanta, you gotta you gotta roll in the studio and hang out with us. Yeah, well, I'm here now, but I just can't, you know, get over there. But he's got to do a blog. Yeah, <laughs> video blog too. Yeah, <laughs> you know how it is. All right, Mike Lee. Thanks, All right, Mike. fellas. Thanks, man. Thanks. That's you know, Lang. I, that team that he's talking about, you know, they were the swashbuckling. You remember a few years ago when Gilbert was dropping 50 on people and taking bows? The swag was I mean, up. it was just crazy. Remember? <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And now, you know, that whole, all those cats are scattered to the wind. It's, you know, the interesting thing to me is Ted Leonsis took, you know, became the owner of that team. And, you, you know, he inherited the Gilbert Arena situation. So you wondered how long would it last and, you know, when was this thing going to come to a head? It's it's funny to me that it happened with very little friction or fanfare. It was just kind of a, yeah, you know, just kind of a routine deal where, hey, we got a chance to move this contract, we're moving it, and that's the end of it. It's very strange how it, ha- how it went down to me. I think because also, like, they've been talking about it since January. Right. It's not like a shock. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like Mike said, it was January eighth or something like that. And I mean, that's it's almost twelve months. <laughs> so it's not like it caught us caught anyone really by surprise that the timing might have caught like just you know the, 
when it actually happened this weekend, it might have been a little surprising. But I think the the concept's been out there for a while. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not a shock that they moved Gilbert. Well, the, you know, the other thing, interesting thing Mike brought up was the connections. Like, whenever yeah. a deal gets done in the league, like, you know, I remember when Detroit traded for Rasheed Wallace. And, you know, there was there had to be some kind of connection for them to take that gamble with Wallace. And, you cut, you know, you go back and find out what Joe Dumars had done his homework and gotten to know Rasheed. And, mm-hmm. you know, and had a connection to Rasheed through Steve Smith. And that's kind of how he formulated that idea that, hey, Rasheed might be the guy to help us get to the next level. Well, Gilbert is being, you know, reunited with Otis Smith and Jason Richardson. I forgot all about Jason Richardson until Mike mentioned it. You know, there's there's so many connections, you know, for these guys who have been well-traveled, you know, guys who have played on a couple different teams and, and dealt with a few different people. That could It could work. It, it could work in Orlando with that group along with Dwight and Jameer Nelson. I I'm, I want to see it happen, but it's, it could work. You know, that gives Gilbert the one thing they never had in D.C., which is that dominant big guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and Haywood was good for them, but, I mean, they get Dwight now. And I, 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 I'm curious how it works. I, I mean, I agree with you. It could work. Yeah. And I think it has a good chance of working. But yeah. I'm just – I don't know exactly how it works. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see is if – Stan uh, can get them all on the same page and, and kind of playing together. I just want to see how that works out. Yeah. Well, the the Hang Time Podcast Hit Parade strolls on today, Lang. We will not get a chance <laughs> to do our usual yapping because we got another fabulous guest lined up. Uh, we, we're talking about these teams in the in the South Southeast Division, and everybody in the division has seen some sort of major overhaul to their roster the last few years now that Orlando has done this, except for your Hawks. Uh, my so Hawks, your Hawks, baby. You, your Hawks. My, you and Micah's Hawks. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get our next guest, Michael Cunningham, the real MC from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, here join us on the podcast. Mike, what's happening? Hey, what's up, fellas? How are you, Mike? Cool, cool. Hey, man. Uh, when everybody else is doing it, I mean, when are, when are the Hawks going going to join in and and uh, start wearing skinny jeans like the rest of the Southeast Division and you know, and and make a move. I mean, you know, it's time to join the fab, man. And that's the number one question on my <laughs> blog right, right about now. So it's like they want me to make up some rumors so they'll feel better about it, you know. <laughs> 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 uh, man, I don't know. They uh, Obviously, Rick Sun stuck with an ASG. The owner stuck with the, this philosophy of keeping this core together and seeing what they can do. So far, we've seen what they can do. They're kind of they're up and down. They don't even have a good record against the winning teams. They now are losing to some bad teams, lost to the Nets twice. Uh, it's a team with some flaws that I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced over the summer, and now I'm definitely not convinced that they can overcome just with this internal growth they're talking about. Yeah. So we'll see if uh, if they stick with this core philosophy that the fans hate so much now <laughs> or if they'll uh they'll try to shake this up and address some of the weaknesses that they really didn't over the summer yeah. how did uh mike how did joe look to you this weekend you know they everyone thought he was gonna be out six weeks and he was out three <laughs> how did he look that was uh surprising <laughs> yeah and the thing is uh if you look at how the whole thing went down he didn't even tell them about this elbow thing until it got so bad that he needed surgery basically and uh, he's the kind of guy, Sekou knows it when he's hurt or he's hurt, and he's not really going to talk about it, not just even the media, to the, to the team. He doesn't tell anybody. He just kind of <laughs> just keeps playing and goes about his business. And to me, that's not the kind of guy you really want to trust to come back so soon from a surgery. So 
if Joe tells me he's ready to play, I'm like, all right, let's wait another week. But uh, he, uh, he he came back. Uh, he didn't look so good in his, his first game uh, against the, uh, I think it was the Pacers. And uh, yesterday in, uh, in um, New Jersey, he started off pretty good, hit some shots, but uh, he finished. I think he missed his last eight shots and didn't really look that comfortable out there, didn't really seem to be back in the flow. Uh, it's going to take him some time, but uh, he's got to make – Open shots, man. I think that's what's, what was hurting the Hawks when he was in the lineup before the surgeries. He was just missing a lot of open shots. I know a lot of people said it was he was going back to ISO and he wasn't sharing the ball. That's that's not what I saw. He led the team. He still leads this team in assists. So it wasn't that he wasn't sharing the ball and he wasn't putting all that. He was just missing open shots. And I'm assuming, and they're hoping it was because of the elbow. I'm sure all Hawks fans are hoping it was the elbow. So uh, it'll be interesting to see once he gets back in the flow if he can start making some of those shots. Mike, what do you think? I mean, I know everybody's asking you to make up the the scenario that lands the Hawks, whatever they believe this team needs. But it's obvious they only have a few different options in terms of, you know, tradable assets, guys that make sense to move, and, you know, what they actually need, like what's severely lacking for this team. Do you foresee a deal getting done by the deadline, or do you think Rick Sun and his crew – Sit on their hands and just kind of ride this thing out. I could see them not doing anything. I mean, they're they're really married to this this philosophy. Uh, they they love their own guys. They they always have here for the last few years. Uh, some people probably say they overvalue some of their own guys as far as trying to keep it together. Uh, but you're right. As far as assets, I mean, Josh is probably number one. Yeah. Just because he's got a, a reasonable contract for his production. Uh, he's still young. It's amazing. He just turned 25. Seems like he's been around 30 years already. Uh, um, you know, Al, they're not going to trade. They're going to sign right. him to, to an extension, and uh, he's, he's a young guy. He's, he's somebody to build around. Uh, Jamal Crawford, obviously, is the probably one number – might even be more than Josh because Josh has a trade kicker. Yeah. Might be their number one uh, asset. Um, and, you know, he's probably the most movable guy they got got an expiring deal he, he's productive he could start probably for most teams uh he, he's a scorer and we know that scoring is overvalued in this league as far as his gm so they could get something from him and you know and get more of a defensive guard and maybe a point guard who can play defense and run the team they don't have that they have guys that could do one or the other or make shots they don't have anybody who, who's kind of that more of a complete solid point guard they could use they could use somebody a bigger center some size at the rim who can, you know, defend at the rim because when Josh is out of the game, man, it's amazing how, how much different teams play the Hawks when he's out. They just go right straight to the hole. It's, it's easier for them. So Jamal and Josh, to me, would seem to be their most tradable pieces to have, you know, any kind of value. Uh, whether they'll do it or not, I'm, I'm still not convinced they will. They could still say right now that they've been injured. It's true. Wow. You could look and see that the Heat and the Celtics have been injured too and they've been rolling. Um, and so – you know, they they want to make excuses and say we, we want to wait and see. They can. Uh, I'm still not convinced that they'll make any moves, but I would say that, that Jamal and Josh would be their two most movable guys. Yeah. Well, Mike, let's say they don't make any moves, and let's say they, they keep these guys together. How do they get over this next hump? Like, what do you think, from this group of guys, what has to happen for them to, to, to get over that hump? It's going to be tough for them, man. They're just – it's just such an unbalanced roster. You know, I was talking to uh, to Larry Drew the other day about, you know, why he didn't want to play Teague more because they have trouble stopping you know, dribble penetration. He's the, probably the only guy on the roster who can do that pretty consistently. And he said, well, you know, Teague's not a shot maker, you know, and he doesn't get his own shot and he's not aggressive. Well, Jamal is aggressive 
and you know will get his own shot. And Diddy can make shots, but those guys don't play any D. So it's kind of like they don't have, like I said, one guy who can play multiple roles. It like, seems like everybody just plays the the one specific role and, and can't do enough of something else where they can get bigger minutes. Um, for them to get over the top, I mean, they're going to have to figure out a way to, to stop the dribble penetration. We saw it again yesterday with the Nets. I mean, with your team that's not as good as the Hawks, my plan would be to kind of Stay close to them, and once you get to the fourth quarter, you can just break them down all day on pick and rolls. So many times this year, it's just no big secret. You dribble penetration, the defense scrambles, and you either go to the hole or, or you know, dump it down to your big guy who's rolling, or you, you know, dump it out to the wings for what's going to be an open three because their closeouts are pretty weak too. So defensively, they're going to have to get better. Offensively, they've been pretty good. Uh, they missed some open shots uh, yesterday. They've pretty much bought into Larry's. System offensively, I think they're okay, but I think defensively, for them to to win some of these close games, they keep losing in the fourth quarter. They to get stops, they're just they're going to have to improve that perimeter defense somehow. And I don't see how they can do it with this roster unless Teague somehow can become more of a complete player where you play him more minutes, and now he helps with your your perimeter D. Yeah, I, I I'm really stunned, Mike, that they haven't done anything. I, I feel like a lot of times if there are major trades going down and you have one of the one of the best assets, you know, on the table, and I think Jamal Crawford is, you know, his expiring deal, the fact that he wanted an extension and they haven't, you know, done anything really, at least anything significant to move towards that. I don't know why you wouldn't get in, the, you know, get in these sweepstakes because now a lot of those things that you might have been able to get in return or, or parlay into something better because of that are off the table. You know, a lot of different guys moved, moved – uh, to different cities over the weekend, and the Hawks are kind of left hanging out there. So it, it'll be interesting to see. We, we're definitely going to get you back on uh, the podcast here in the next few weeks because, you know, we may or may not be talking about the Hawks in terms of some movement. Yeah, that's a good point. You kind of – it does – you know, I understand – I told you know, people on my blog, I understand your frustration. It's like the Hawks are just kind of standing still and everybody else is moving ahead. And, and as you say, they, they've got Jamal, who's, who's a very tradable piece. I know he still has fans and, and ownership – with management, um, but when his team has such glaring weaknesses, and he's on this team, let's be honest, he's pretty much a redundant player. He's a, he's a scoring yeah. two, two guard. They got plenty of those. <laughs> <laughs> they got those all up and down the roster. They got they got that one covered. Right. Uh, so you, you you trade a guy who's who's valuable. Who's you've already got other guys who can who can fill that role. Maybe not as well, but but well enough. You yeah. know, and maybe you go and you get and you fill a need and. I'm surprised they haven't done anything yet. Maybe, I mean, maybe they they will in the coming weeks, like you said. But uh, if you look at their history, I'm still skeptical. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, listen, Michael, Michael Cunningham. Uh, you know, you got to check his blog out on AJC.com. It's fantastic stuff. Mike, we appreciate you joining us, man. All right, thanks, fellas. Okay, thanks, thanks Mike. Uh, Lang, that's the one team, and I mean, I was joking about it when we first brought Mike on, but it's true. They're the one team in the division. You know, Charlotte brought in Stephen Jackson, a major you know, change, a shake-up to their roster, help them get to the playoffs. The Heat obviously set the world, you know, on its, on its tail this summer with, you know, LeBron and, and Chris Bosh. Now Orlando dives in. You know, the Wizards are involved in the weekend stuff, so they're part of this whole, you know, roster overhaul, at least changing the face of your franchise. The Hawks are just sitting there. I mean, they got to do – I mean, at some point they have to do something, don't they? You know, and I, I think the hope has always been that – for them doing something would mean all these guys will improve 
you know, that's, yeah. as a team. And, yeah. and, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's they're doing something so far. And, um, you know, the other thing that jumped out of me while Mike was talking was that these other teams made a lot of moves, but I think it's still, we're not sure the, yeah. if, if they're good or bad. Right. Moves. I know where you're going. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, maybe, maybe right now, if you're the Hawks, you stand pat. I mean, there's still two months till the trade deadline. And you see how this stuff plays out, and you know, you, I understand the need to to be reactionary, but there's sometimes being too reactionary. I think. Yeah, but I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm very skeptical that that you can sit around while everybody else, and maybe this is the suburbs in me, you know, living in the <laughs> suburbs the last few years, you just feel like you know all your neighbors are cutting grass and getting landscaping, and you're out there trying to blow your leaves yourself. You go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like. Like I'd pay, I'd pay money to watch like, you blow the leaves. <laughs> I don't anymore. I, I wised up. Um, you know, I, I was out there doing my own yard work, and then I, I noticed like everybody else had a a service that came by and did it. So my you know Same my yard was looking bushly. Be about that age. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was say. <laughs> well, listen, I was a professional landscaper when I was a kid. I just didn't have any documents to prove it, but I got the calluses to prove it. But uh, but no, I'm just very I'm very skeptical. And uh, again. This all of this stuff is connected. You know, what I mean, you're talking about players moving in the division. Yeah. So, the, no division has seen as much upheaval since July. You know, compared to what the the teams in the Southeast have. And uh, yep. again, you know, we're continuing our our parade of of guests today, and and we don't normally do this on the podcast line, but I, I thought it was warranted today, Micah. I know you did as well. Um, Evan Dunlap, the managing editor of uh, Orlando Pinstripe Post, one of the best blogs out there for the NBA, is joining us now on the podcast for the first time. Evan, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks, guys. Good to hear you. Hey, give us the Orlando side of this. We've talked to to Mike Lee from the Washington Post and kind of gotten that perspective on this deal that went down over the weekend. What was, what was the thinking uh, in the Magic camp as to why now was the right time to, to basically blow this team up? Um, Otis Smith said on Saturday, uh, that before the year even started, he had circled that, uh, that West Coast trip they just took four games as a time when he would really sit and evaluate the team. He goes on every road trip, almost every road trip with the team as it is, one of the few general managers who, who does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't like what he was seeing on that trip. Uh, understandably, they go one and three. Their one win was against the Clippers. Um, get beat by double digits. I mean, Denver, Utah, and, and Portland are very tough places to play, but it's not just that they lost. It's the manner in which they're losing. The, right. the defense has um, regressed. The offense this year has, was bad to start and, and never really improved. Uh, they're, they're about league average on that end. So... Um, he didn't like what he saw at that trip. He saw it was time to uh, to make a move, and uh, if nothing else, they they certainly have a lot more offensive firepower now. Yeah, <laughs> Evan, it's Lang from from Slam. We were we were talking. What's the reaction of the of the fans been down there since this you know broke over the weekend? Is do people are they shocked, surprised, uh, are they supportive of it? What 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 have you seen from your readers and the fans down there? Um, there are a few distinct uh, opinions. Uh-huh. 
or or camps, if you will. Uh, <laughs> right. One one is um, the sky is falling. Oh my goodness, Dwight Howard can't get out of here fast enough. Right. Because he's not gonna when he can opt out. I don't know if it's an opt out or a, an early termination. Um, but after next season, he can leave. And if he doesn't have a title, and he looks at the team and sees you know its highest paid players are Gilbert Arenas and Hito Turkoglu. Uh, you know, he, he could leave. That's one. That's sort of like the doomsday, like panic right. uh, opinion. The other is, well, maybe uh, Gilbert <laughs> just needed to change of scenery. Uh, right. Maybe Hito can. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's an arguable that Hito's never been better than than when he was with Orlando. I think right. the, the the issue some people have is overrating him based on some very good uh, playoff games. Um, but it, he, he's two years older now. I don't know if he's going to be as good. Um, but, but that's another issue. Okay, well, they're, they're in new places. They're, they, they'll feel wanted. You know, Gil, Gilbert and, and, and Otis have a very good relationship. I don't know about Turkaloo's relationship with the guys. I can't speak to that. But if he, he's never been better than he was here. Uh, I think there's an interesting little, like, subset, and... Uh, Bill Simmons said this on Twitter, like after the trade. So two million people have already seen it. <laughs> but um, why not like wait on the Arenas trade because that's going to be there. Like that's going to be there in February. If you want to give the Wizards Richard Lewis for Gilbert Arenas, they're not going to say no. <laughs> so why not let Turk and Richard Lewis play together for a few months and see if maybe they can. You know, get get each other back on track. They had a nice little synergy there for their two years together. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an interesting point, but I also think if you make all these major moves now, everyone's on the same page in December as opposed to in February yeah. with the playoffs just two months away. But do you, Evan? Do you think it was at all? Uh, and I and I know Otis has talked about the fact that he this was already his target date and he was already gonna you know, use this time to evaluate. But do you, did you feel like this was at all done in reaction to outside forces? You know, the Heat get on a roll, um, you know, then Boston's just, you know, rolling over people. And then the Knicks jump up out of nowhere and win eight straight. And do you feel like maybe there was, you know, there was this feeling in Orlando that we better, we got to do something. Even if we don't do both these, you know, monster deals, we do something to shake our team up to make sure we don't, get left behind just just in the flow of the season uh i think there could be something to that but but i always feel like otis is a guy who's going to make the best move what he thinks is the best move um for his team regardless of where the other where the other teams uh stand Mm -hmm. you know i think i think if the magic I mean, no, a butterfly flaps its wings and everything changes and all that, but if the, if the Magic had lost three out of four on the road in the same manner they did, but the Celtics had dropped three straight mm-hmm. and the Knicks were 500 and the Heat were good but not great, I still think he would have made the trade. I, I don't mm-hmm. know that the um, monstrous success of the, the Heat and the Celtics in recent, what has it been, like three weeks now since they lost, something like that, yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't know if that played into his decision at all. I just think, yeah, I, 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 I trust him when he says he has tunnel vision and 
to a degree, and he doesn't really pay attention to what the other teams are doing. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of overstating it, but at the same time, you know, you have to do what's best for your team regardless of of um, those outside outside factors. Sure. Do you think? Uh... Well, the, the the name I'm curious about is the is Jason Richardson. I know we talked a lot about uh, Hito and Gilbert, but how, how do you think Jay Rich fits in, and and uh, what change does he represent for this team? Um, well, I, I'm on the the record as saying he's going to be the the most effective of the of the uh, four players uh-huh. they're getting. I I really like the dimension he can add to to Orlando's offense because. His reputation is just a sort of a, a guy who just like shoots threes and dunks people's faces off. Right. But he's, he's actually a very skilled offensive player. Not a great handle, but um, he can. What, what I like about him, and this is a skill Otis and Stan talked about, is he he can come off screens and get open sh- open shots, kind of like uh, like Ray Allen or on the Magic right now, JJ Redick, and mm-hmm. the Magic don't shoot. I mean, they shoot threes, obviously, but uh, more than anybody. But they get those, you know, off pick and roll, drive and kick action, or um, like pick and pop, you know, things like that. They don't have guys who come off screens, a la Ray Allen, just JJ. Right. So um, I think you can see a, a new dimension, perhaps, added to the offense if they if they can work some sets for to, to spring Jay Rich into the play playbook. He can play with his back to the basket a little bit for a very good post-up player for a guard. Um, right. He's just a very skilled offensive player. And, I mean, 19 points per game in just 31 minutes this year. That's that's unreal. Yeah. And, yes, I know he's playing for the up-and-down songs <laughs> with Steve Nash. Okay, I know that there's a little bit of a, a drop-off that he's going to have in Orlando. But um, I just – I really like – he's – I don't know how anyone could really contend that he's any worse than Vince Carter – Right. I would say he's probably a lot better in, in, in terms of fit. Yeah. Evan, the the one thing that I don't know if either one of us have, have asked you yet, um, do you like it? I mean, do you do you <laughs> like do you like this for the Magic? I mean, all the all the pieces aside, do you think this makes the Magic any better team than they were the day before this deal was done? This is a very tough question to answer, but I, I promise I'm not going to like give you a cop out here. Like, oh, we have to wait and see. Uh, well, we do, but it, I'll, I'll try to you know offer what I what I think now. Sure. Um, the contracts are kind of a mess, uh, and from that standpoint, I, I don't. I'm not thrilled with with the trades. I mean, holy cow, for them to take on all that obligation right. for a season two years away with with who knows about the, the collective bargaining agreement, but. Um, uh, the contracts aside, I like that they're going to have a lot more offense yeah. now. Options, anyway. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a, a, a more hubbub about a trade involving a, a 39% shooter than, than the Gilbert Arenas one. Uh, <laughs> he's clearly not who he was, and even if he like feels better and is more focused or whatever in Orlando, that's not going to make his knees awesome again. Right. Um I don't see him getting to the foul line quite like he used to, which is what made him so great. Sure. Um, one of the things that made him so great. But that said, you look at the offensive ceiling of the Magic before and after the trade, it's not terribly close. I, I think you can, you might see this team 
had a few of those explosive nights in the playoffs. We've seen what Jason Richardson can do in the playoffs when he just set the Portland Trailblazers on fire and ran away. Yeah. Um, this year, um, Keto, he's a great spot-up shooter now. People, I, don't, I mean, he gets, you know, piled on for his uh, attitude and being a huge disappointment, but he can at least shoot jump shots um, very well off the catch. I would mm-hmm. say that he's going to have more opportunities to, to run that high pick and roll with, with Dwight like he used to. Um, I, you can't argue with the offense part of this trade. What I'm worried about are two things, um, defense and depth. Mm. I mean, it seems weird for a team that, to, uh, that's been sort of on the decline defensively um, the last two or three weeks of the season to make this huge shakeup and the best defender they get back is Jason Richardson, you know, and, and no slight to Jason. I'm, I'm sure he tries hard, but, <laughs> um, and, and Turkoglu actually got a, a third team all defense vote a few years ago from right. one wow. in, the, in the coaching community. I don't know who that was. <laughs> um, so I, I do worry about the defense because defense, as Stan has said, takes a lot longer to teach than offense. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one thing. And then I guess another part of the defense equation plays into the depth issue. Gortat is probably the league's best backup center, depending what you think about Jolfer's Villa. Yeah. Um, he was very valuable in that Charlotte series last year when, when Dwight couldn't keep his hands to himself. Um, it's very hard to find a backup center who, who can give you 20 quality minutes. Um so you lose him, and yeah, Dwight's going to play 40 minutes, maybe 45 in the playoffs, but there are going to be times, uh, injury, illness, foul trouble, technical foul, league-mandated league mandated suspension, uh, <laughs> when, when Dwight's just not going to be able to play. Yeah, uh, and yeah. right now you're looking at Malik Allen. Wow. A uh, good veteran knows how to play, and he plays hard, but, boy, they, they, need, they need a backup center. Yeah. Um, and another problem, I, I think, too, is with the defense. Your best perimeter defender is now Quentin Richardson. I would say he's above average on that end. He's not Michael Petrus. Uh, that team's going to miss his defense, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. he, he did two years ago when, when he had to take down um, Pierce, Kobe, and uh, LeBron in the, in the same right. playoff, playoff string. But back to Q. Rich, uh, pretty good perimeter defender, but looking at who else he's going to play with, he might be on the back end of the rotation now. Um, your, your, your perimeter your, your perimeter guys getting a lot of minutes are going to be Gilbert and uh, Jason Richardson, maybe J.J. Redick, Ido Turkoglu. So you have basically one center and a bunch of, like, sort of not great perimeter defenders. It's just going to be drive, 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 bump into the white, fall down. <laughs> Yeah. And so I, I think that the, the, you can see those pro- how those problems could sort of, I don't know, combine and make an even bigger problem, which is who's going to play 25 minutes when all LeBron and Dwayne Wade want to do is drive, 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 drive into Dwight. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, I, I know you've mentioned, uh, I saw you tweeted something out earlier as well, that they might they might not be done. Um, this, Correct. This idea that uh, Quinn Richardson... Um, do I mean seriously more from the magic? Yeah, um, Otis. <laughs> is, 
yeah, uh, their their work isn't over. Um, I think Otis and Stan are in agreement. They need a, a backup big man. Um, I know they like Malik Allen a lot, but mm-hmm. he's really sort of a, an emergency sort of guy. Daniel Orton, the rookie from Kentucky, is not healthy. Uh, played two games in the D-League and re-aggravated his left knee, which is not since high school, wow. which for him isn't a long time ago, but it's right. still a few years ago. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, 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 they need to back up big man. I just don't know who's available. Um, Tim Povtak reported that uh, the Magic are looking at Tony Batie, a uh, veteran, played with the Magic for, I want to say, four or five years. Right. And two with Van Gundy, uh, Dwight Howard's called him a big brother, right? Uh, which may play a factor in that decision. I don't know. Um, and they've also maybe been looking at Ronnie Turioff. I don't know. I don't know what the package, the trade package of of this summer's free agent signings, Chris Duhon and Quinn Richardson, can get you on the market. I I don't know, but it's pretty clear that they need to offer something to somebody to find a, a backup big man. You know they're on the other end of this equation now, where everyone was calling them about Gortat because he was probably the best in the league, and then now uh, you know they 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 have their hands really empty, and they're trying to scramble uh, trying to scramble to make a trade on that front. So, well, that could be something minor. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the one thing that's clear is that uh, you will not be resting on Christmas. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'd like to believe me. <laughs> well listen man, we enjoyed reading your stuff, uh and we always do. Orlando dot com. Evan Dunlap, the managing editor. Thanks for joining us, man, and we'll be sure to get back with you here on the Hangtime Podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Paul. Okay, man. That, once again, Lang this deal when you when you do these mega deals, these 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 trades and they did two, yeah. you know. Uh, really, it's not just one deal. They did two. Um, there's so much that that has to fall into place for this thing to work out uh, in the Magic's favor. M- you know, everybody knew Gortat was a guy who was a little upset at his role after, you know, he was a free agent in the Magic match, the offer. I think Houston put it up. Dallas. Uh, it was a Dallas. That's right, Dallas. Yeah. Um, put the offer sheet out there, and the Magic matched it. And he went back reluctantly, really. I mean, I know he was glad to get his money. But he wanted, to, you know, he wanted to be a starter. He knew he wasn't going to have a chance to do that with Dwight in Orlando. Now, Gortat goes to a, a totally different locale, which should be great for his career. Yeah. The one thing I just want to say real quick, uh, when uh, Evan was talking about some of the possibilities they could pick up, Tony Batie and Malik Allen, those are definitely that guy. <laughs> I was, you know, I was thinking they should they should talk to our guy. You think so? Donald Foyle. You think so? Get him out of retirement. Yeah, I mean he's still there, right? Yeah, I mean, that, I, I mean he, he knows the system. I don't know if he could give you twenty minutes a night, though. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean it's a possibility. I mean, it's you, a possibility. You we spent an hour talking about the Eastern Conference today. <laughs> Two years ago, everybody was like, "Oh, it's all the West. The Eastern Conference is over. There's nothing there." And we we've been all East today. Yeah, I mean it's just crazy. You know, I I don't know how uh, I don't I don't know how. This thing works out for Orlando. I, I do know that they've become a, a must-watch team now, at least this week. Yeah. You know, they're here in Atlanta tonight. Uh, they got a Christmas Day game, huge Christmas Day game against Boston. Um, so you're going to get a chance to see them on, you know, on a big stage anyway. But now with, with this new group, 
you know, I, I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to how well that bunch could work out. But think about it. If you put Gilbert, Turgaloo, and Jason Richardson around the three-point line, and you've got Dwight and what, Brandon Bass mm-hmm. in the paint, that's, that's pretty formidable. I mean, that's yeah. – they didn't. They didn't take a step back necessarily with this move. They just changed. I think it's hard. It's hard to kind of wrap my head around it. Yeah, it, it, it's not that they took a step forward or backward. It's just that it's such a big move, right? Because I keep thinking of like, well, you know, Petrus is gone. Well, so is Gortat, and well, so is Rashard Lewis, and you just keep coming with more guys who aren't there anymore. And uh, I, I don't. I, I, I just want to see how it all works. Yeah, I, I just. Uh... I'm just curious as to what, you know, and I haven't had a chance to, to go into a locker room. I'm going to get that chance today to go into a locker room and talk to players because you remember the first three weeks of the season or, you know, after Miami put that team together, what was the first question out of your mouth to every player you saw? What do you think about what Miami did? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, now we're going to get a couple, at least we get a couple of days of asking guys what do they think about what Orlando's done. Right. The funny thing to me is that, with Hayden Turkoglu coming back there, I mean, remember when he was a free agent and everybody was like, oh, Orlando dodged a bullet by not having to sign him to this crazy long contract at this crazy amount of money, and now they pretty much get him, and they've lost a year of... A year and a half, yeah, like right. a year and some change, prorated, I guess. Um, and they got him at that contract. At the same exactly. time. <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know if there was this idea that, you know, Hito was only going to be able to play well like this idea that he comes back and he can only play to the level he played in Orlando with those guys uh, you know I don't I don't even know if he and Richard and Dwight reunited would have been a a good setup sometimes a guy has a great year that year's over and, and that time that little stretch where he was playing at another level is over uh right. you know it, it remains to be seen I, I'm not sure you know how uh I'm I'm, I'm pleading the I'm taking a, a flyer on how I feel about this thing until I watch this game tonight and watch them for a few more days. Lang, um, I know you you follow him on Twitter probably like I do and and read his stuff all the time. Alan Hahn from Newsday is uh, is our next guest on the Hang Time Podcast. I've been wanting to talk to him. I want to talk to him last week after after the show last week about Amari uh, when everybody was, was fired up about watching Amari and seeing him do big things. Um, but we got him now, and, and we definitely want to quiz him a little bit about the Knicks. Alan, how you doing, man? What's happening? Yeah, you get me after the Knicks are on a losing streak. I see how it is. <laughs> it was, seriously, it was bad timing on our part. We, we were trying to get you last week, and we blew it. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I'm sure, I'm sure there's, there'll, be, uh, there'll be a lot of other chances this year to, uh, to beat on the Knicks. But, no, the, the last couple of weeks have been – Interesting for me because I've never covered a winning Knicks team, so I got to cover a winning team now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's been been an experience, man. But I got to tell you, I've I, I've been to the the Garden plenty of times to watch games. I know Lane goes on a regular basis, but those games from this past week, you know, just watching the crowd, watching Spike Lee doing his thing, that had to be fun to to be to cover and to be in there watching all that go on. Yeah, it, it was. You know, it was great to see the building kind of back that way. And, and I like Doc Rivers used a great line when he said it's like one of the last remaining live buildings yeah. in the league. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, when, it's, when, it's bump, when it's jumping, when there's buzz, you could feel it. And, uh, and that's how those games were. I mean, Wednesday had a lot of, I think, trepidation. The fans wanted to get into it, but they were so afraid that something bad was going to happen. It was almost like a leftover from the old 
uh, era. And, you know, the way the game ended, obviously, was disappointing. But when I walked through the crowd to get to the press room, all you heard, and it was, and it's not what sounds cliche, and I was laughing at myself because I'm like, this is so cliche, but it's true. Every, like, I went through about four sections to get to the press, to the press room, and every section there was at least one person, maybe two, who said to his friend, wow, what a game. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, isn't that really what it's about? I mean, when's the loss? I understand, but the fact that people are leaving the garden and not ticked off—it's <laughs> a start. <laughs> Alan, what do you think the Knicks take from not only that streak, but now these last three losses? Like, where where do they find themselves right now? Well, I mean, look—the the loss to the Celtics is kind of a half, right? And, and then obviously yeah. the first half against Miami was probably the pinnacle. You know, when you talk about how the building sounded and. You know, I mean, and, and how the energy was back. I mean, that first half was pretty great. So, they really, they, the killer is that loss in, in Cleveland, which going into the week I actually said was a trap game because of, you know, you have such an exhausting week and an, an emotional week, and then you go to an awful team like Cleveland in kind of a, a situation like that where, you know, you might exhale, and it's the worst thing you can do. And, and that's what the Knicks did in the last minute of the game of regulation. They exhaled, yeah. and it killed them. Yeah. And that's a, that's a troubling loss, but they're tired. It's you're going to be tired when all you play is six guys, and and that's something Mike D'Antoni's got to address, and and maybe Donnie Walsh has to address by making a few moves because if the coach isn't confident in his bench to play them, that means they don't have the kind of depth they need, and they're going to have to address that. Alan, we had a, a crazy weekend of trades. This you know happened. I couldn't have guessed it would be anybody but Carmelo. If you'd asked me it before the weekend, we come yeah. out of the weekend. He's still in the Nuggets uniform. What, what's the buzz in you know in Knicksland about Carmelo now? Seeing how my you know Miami's made their move, obviously in the summer. Now Orlando's made a move. Do the Knicks want to get into this mix and do something major to make sure they keep the pace? I think they do, and I think Carmelo's at the top of the list. Um, I think what happened when you see Orlando make those moves. You say to yourself, "All right, well, that eliminates one possibility." <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, but it, it, that, that's one because he probably could have gone there, and he might have signed an extension there. And you know, Chicago's obviously the other team lying in the weeds, and we all know about New Jersey. And I think New Jersey, as everybody's been saying, they have the best offer when it comes to a young player and picks and whatnot. But I think the Knicks could put something together that should interest them. I just think it's going to take a third team. Um, does Denver want to do this move? The, the thing is, is whether or not the Knicks have at least a fair offer, not a great one, but a fair one, uh, how does it look on Denver's part if, if Carmelo does end up on the Knicks roster? Because then it almost looks like you gave in, right? Yeah. You almost looks like yeah. you lost. And so if you're their ownership and their front office, you know, there's probably a lot of hesitation to want, you know, there's no motivation to want to make a trade with the Knicks unless, of course, Carmelo comes to you and says, it's the only team I'm going to sign an extension with. And that might not be something you see until February. But I agree with you. I mean, every time you hear about a trade happening, you think it's got to involve Carmelo, right? You think he's going to be gone. And every day he's putting that jersey on one more day and one more day. But, I mean, I do think it's inevitable, though. It's a matter of time before something happens. But whether he comes to the Knicks or not, to me, remains the biggest question of all. And it's something the Knicks got to – be concerned with because if they do want to advance the cause this year rather than take that slow and steady uh, growth that they first thought they were going to go through, you know, that's a guy, that's a key figure in this to make them more of a, uh, a legitimate contender in the playoffs than just a team that squeaks in at that seven and eight spot, which means you're one and done. Right. You know, like you just mentioned, the slow and steady thing, 
that's actually kind of worked for them the last <laughs> couple of years yeah. to get them to this point where they're at now. I mean, do you think this is the time like, that they go all in, or do you think they stick with the slow and steady thing? What do you think works for them right now? Well, my personal feeling is this. First of all, we gotta, let's just concede there'll be at least half a season next year, right? Because let's right. just say the probability of a lockout means maybe a 50-game season. Right. So the East right now, looking at it, there are more bad teams than there are good teams. So, you know, do you strike now? I mean, the Celtics are getting older. And, I mean, they're playing great right now, but they're getting older. And Miami's pretty much going to be the team you have to go through in the next five years, I think. And, and so if you're the Knicks, I don't know if slow and steady is going to get it done. Do you want to be the Atlanta Hawks? I mean, is that who you want to be, the team that's, going to make it every year but never going to really it's not going to matter and i think that's where the knicks are right now and if you can get that player like carmelo who can put you over the top then i think you got to do it but if that player is not there then no you like you said then you stick with a guy like landry fields and let him grow and you know you still try to develop some of your younger players there are obvious needs here backup point guards one uh, a, a center that can play next to amari so you can slide him back over to the four I right. think it's also something that's very important. Do you, I mean, if, if we're talking about the Knicks making this deal, Alan, what's, who's the one guy that, that would have to be included in a deal, you think, from Denver's perspective, like a guy that makes the deal? And who's the one guy that the Knicks wouldn't want to include? And I'm curious if it's the same person. That's a good question. Well, um, I think – you know, like I mentioned Landry Fields, and, you know, since we're in New York, I'm going to use a Wall Street term, and you got to sell high. I mean, people love the guy, and what, what a revelation, a 39th overall pick who was on no one's draft board, who was not, not only has he become a starter, but he's a very effective player for you as an intangibles guy. But, you know, I, just, I, I go back to Channing Frye in 2005 when he was an untouchable rookie, you know, all-rookie team guy, and now, I mean, where is he now? Yeah. So. You know, you got to think sometimes, do you sell high? So there's one guy I think that fans will hate to lose, and I think Mike D'Antoni would hate to lose him. But, again, you're going to have to bleed a little to get a superstar in here. So there's one. But I think the guy you're talking about is probably going to be Wilson Chandler. Yeah. Because he's got a lot of value for this team right now. Even if you've got Carmelo and you brought him off the bench, you need scoring off the bench. But if you're gonna, if you're Denver, you've got to bring in a player that you can say, "Hey, look at these guys' numbers. He's still very young. He's right. very cheap, and you can build with him." Uh, you know, I don't know if Danilo Gallinari, even though he was a number six overall pick, I just don't think Denver wants him, and I don't think he can really give you that kind of value in this. But let me just add this quick: if you're if you're Denver, you want to save money right away, not next year, right away, because you're going to get killed at the gate for the rest of the season once you trade Carmelo. I think Eddie Curry's contract is more valuable as a yeah. um, as the salary match more than a Troy Murphy because little known fact Eddie Eddie Curry's contract half of it was already paid in yeah. July yeah so that's that's a big deal I think yeah that's a great point uh, and we kind of every people lose sight of the fact that these monster deals don't get done without a toss in like without an expiring or some other right. contract this would be a great way for the for the Knicks to rid themselves of Eddie Curry's contract. Right and and uh, and Eddie Curry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know, I, but I was. I thought when you when you said Wilson Chandler, I was wondering if it was going to be Gallinari. Um, just you know, you've seen him the last few years, and he's improving. A great young player. What makes you think it's Chandler over Gallinari? I mean, are, are you? Am I wrong to think that maybe Gallinari would be a little more attractive? Well, 
I, I just I don't think from what I've heard and people I've talked to, I don't think Denver sees a lot of value in, in him. And right. you know, we, we've watched Gallo; he'll have incredible halves, like he did in that second half against Boston, the first yeah. half against Miami. But then he'll also disappear, like the first half against Boston and the second half against Miami, and the entire both halves against Cleveland. Apparently, like you, you know, that, that just happens with him. He's an enigma right now at 22 years old. And you just don't know what is he. The Dirk, you know, comparisons. Right. Obviously, we're not seeing you know that yet. But you know, he's he's young, got a lot to learn. Um, but you know, Chandler to me, because he does so many different things, he can he can guard anywhere from two to four, right. sometimes five if you need it. His his outside game, his perimeter game is getting better and better and better. He's incredibly coachable, great athlete, and again, he's also very young. So. Right. You know, I think just looking at his numbers right now in comparison, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's averaging 17 a game and, you know, shooting 47%. Uh, you know, I think that's a guy that in a package, now not, you know, it's definitely not as their sure. favorite as 19, but in a package you can at least say to your fans, hey, we got a good young player here. Right. Well, listen, Al, I, I promise you one thing, and, and you hold me to this no matter what the rest of the season. The next time the Knicks win three straight games – we're calling you. I don't care what day of the week it is. We're getting you on the phone, and we're talking Knicks on the Hang Time Podcast with Alan Hahn. Just remember that now. All right. Now, that's a deal, but I just hope that the next time they win three in a row isn't next season because, you know, I've been, I've been a jinx to this franchise since I got on the beach. <laughs> Listen, man, we appreciate you. Alan Hahn from New Thanks, Day Alan. joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks, fellas. Micah, that, that's funny that – I don't know if you picked that up. Like, right away I said Wilson Chandler for a couple of reasons. One, because he's from Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is down the road from, <laughs> from Grand Rapids. And I'm, and I'm definitely uh, partial to anybody from my neck of the woods. The second reason is I love Gallinari. I, like, I, I love any dude whose nickname translates to Rooster. I mean, first and foremost. But I love his game. I, I love the way he plays. Like, I love how aggressive and brash he plays. Like, just when you – you yeah. see him on the wing, and you think he's not going to go for a dunk, and he'll come in and try and smash on somebody. Yeah. But I'm, but I was thinking Wilson Chandler mostly because if I'm Denver and the way I play, Wilson Chandler's like a perfect fit to take over Carmelo's role, not as the lead scorer, but just as the starting small forward, if or the backup to Al Harrington. If you're going to make Al Harrington your starter, whatever you're going to do, Chandler's a much better fit. I thought Lang specifically for the way Denver plays not and not Gallinari. Yeah, I think defensively That's why more so. Yeah. You know, like the way um like Allen said how he can guard so many different positions and, yeah. and and he gives them that same kind of slasher athletic type guy that uh that you know in a way Gallinari is a little bit more like Harrington in that he, yeah. he likes to shoot threes and and like you say he does drive from time to time but he, he's more of a perimeter type player and I think Chandler would give them more of that in, uh, outside in guy, yeah. That that Mello kind of ha- gives him now. I, I'm sure, like you know, I would. To me, Chandler's one of those. I don't. We don't have a category. For, he's not a that guy, Micah. But he's a dude to me that uh, a good team in the NBA loves having Wilson Chandler's on their roster. You know, like they love having a guy who's seems relatively low maintenance. I mean, I've talked to him plenty of times in locker rooms, and we kind of laugh about home or whatever, but. I'd love to have a dude like that on my roster, like uh, a dude who can get 17, 18 points a night, but do it without you ISOing and running, you know, plays for him, you know, possession after possession, who seems to get along with everybody, who works his tail off. His game has improved 
dramatically. If you, you remember when he was a, first came in the league, right? Um, I, I think Isaiah drafted him. Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Paul. Yeah, uh, Isaiah, and we knock people knock on Isaiah, but the one thing I give him is he he does spot good players. Now he's he does have a good eye uh, for who can play because I don't remember a lot of other people even talking about drafting Wilson Chandler that high when he was coming out in that draft. But if, I'm, if you're going to talk about, a, you know, also a guy who can score points without having plays run for him and stuff, I mean, Landry Fields has kind of become that for the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so maybe if you, you get you lose a Chandler, you know, you don't you don't lose as much as you might think. Also, yeah. you, also you get Carmelo back. So right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty helpful. Kind of a, ni- kind of a nice trade-off. You know, and I didn't – I'll, I'll admit, I didn't know Landry Fields was as tall as he was uh, yeah. until the season got wrong. I don't know why I thought Landry Fields was like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I've gone to like the last few games to, and just watched him on plays. And uh, what really impresses me with him is is the way he – and we have a joke at Slam like that if you're ever on radio shows whatever and you, they ask you about a guy and you don't know what to say about the guy, you say that he moves well without the ball. <laughs> Because <laughs> no, one really knows. <laughs> no one watches the guy without the ball. So you can say, well, that guy moves. Chan- I mean, uh, Landry Fields really does move really well without the ball. And what's what impresses me is, like, he gets the spacing aspect of it. Yeah. You know, like a lot of guys, you'll see guys, like, wave guys out of the way or move here or there. You don't ever see that with, with Fields. He's always in the right space, and, and he waits until there's a gap that opens up, and he runs into that gap and gets in front of the rim and gets the ball. Yeah. and. You know, I think he's been great at that for the Knicks this year. Yeah, I, I like the Knicks team, um, what they're working with. But I think the Knicks need another – like, I think they need to take a swing at, at a big piece like Carmelo if, if they want to get into that top four playoff mix this year right away. Like, if they if they don't want to wait around and, and gamble on what happens, yeah. you know, with the summer – they got to they gotta do something between now and the trade deadline. Uh, and I won't be surprised if it happens – um, so we'll we'll actually have to amend. I promised Alan Hahn we'll have to get him back on. Either way, whether the Knicks win three in a row again or whether or not they make a move between now and the trade deadline. So yeah. Um, before we get out of here, Lang, um, I promised an emailer to the show last week. He, he sent a great email in about our conversation we had on the uh, the biggest hotbeds for NBA talent. Okay. Um, and his name is Brian Smith, uh, and I and I'm guessing he's a he's a DC area guy based on the the names and the list of guys he sent in and it just so happens with Grant Hill uh doing his Benjamin Button routine yesterday and getting 30 and 10 that this this is a perfect time to bring it up. So I appreciate Brian Smith for the email and uh for listening to the show. He suggests and this could be this is debatable because I'm not sure how people in Baltimore and DC feel about aligning themselves together for anything. I'm not sure if that relationship is right. is good enough in basketball for them to join forces. Um, but he says that the Baltimore, D.C. area might be the best hotbed for NBA stars right now in the league. And look, look at the names. Carmelo, who we talked about, Kevin Durant, Rudy Gay, Michael Beasley, Jeff Green, Ty Lawson, or just, you know, Grant Hill, who's the old head of the bunch, you know, from Rest and South Lakes High. I mean, we're talking about a, a a pretty monster list. If you had to take guys from every guy in the NBA lines up and says, "All right, based on hometowns, we're gonna play. We're gonna pair up and have teams 
and play a round robin three, you know, three on three or whatever. That'd be a pretty formidable group to have to deal with if you're talking about best best hometown teams. And then we got to figure out the DC Baltimore if that's allowed. <laughs> I mean, I've watched the wire, you know, front to back, and I don't ever remember. I don't even remember a whole lot of DC references in the wires. Like Baltimore is not even close to it if you watch right. the wires. So I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to get. We don't want to get anybody in trouble. Just assuming that it's okay. I know. I know the proximity. You know uh, they're right there, in terms of how close they are to each other. It'd be like going from, you know, downtown Atlanta to Alf, you know, out to the outer tips of Alpharetta or something. It's it's forty mile trip. Um, we need to. Uh, we need to. Maybe you need to do a, a blog post about this. <laughs> you're right. I think and get right. more readers to uh, to write in, so we can get more nominations. Yeah, I think I think you're right. But we first we got to talk to somebody at uh, Google Maps or you know the uh, somebody in DC and somebody in Baltimore. <laughs> we need like the mayors of each. You know, we yeah. need mayors or somebody to come on and clarify. Just do they have a brother sister relationship in terms of cities where basketball is concerned? That's what I'd be curious to know. Yeah, <laughs> but we, again, Brian Smith with a with a great response to uh, a hot conversation we had last week. I know Micah is voting for Jackson, Mississippi. I'm voting for the West Side of the state of Michigan, which we got Wilson Chandler, Chris Kamen, and uh, I'll work on the rest of our team at some point. So uh, a- ATL, Shotty. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I got. I hear hey, you. I saw you got a tweet from our uh, little Debbie guy. Yeah. Uh, by th- by the way. Micah, our little Debbie should be somewhere in the neighborhood here for Christmas. He says that he sent both of us, Lang and I, he, he sent us a tweet, and he said, I didn't respond. He says, apparently, I couldn't lift my head up long enough on the jump, <laughs> you know, to, to respond to his tweet, which I apologize for. I missed it because, as we all know, if there's some free snacks involved, you know, your boy is trying to get some. So, yeah, we're, hopefully, hopefully we'll get a very Merry Christmas present around here, Lang, while you – I'm pretty sure you're done with yours already. We're going to be eating, buddy. <laughs> I'm still waiting to hear from the fine people at Rolled Gold Pretzels. <laughs> no question about it, man. Listen, once again, the Hang Time Podcast. Great show, guys. Uh want to thank all our guests, Evan Dunlop, uh, Michael Lee, Michael Cunningham, and Alan Hahn, all coming on to talk trades and other big stuff going on around the NBA. Merry Christmas. The next show we'll do will be our last one of this calendar year. So that'll be fun. Wrap up this calendar year with the, with the, you know, one last episode of the podcast before we start 2011. Micah Hart, our super producer doing his job, Lane Krause over there, pushing all the right buttons. Lang Whitaker, New York. This is Sekou Smith. Thanks for joining us on the hang time podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the hang time podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes music store. Be sure to check out the hang time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit slamonline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at Seku Smith NBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.